I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and you're listening to a special season-ending episode of the EdNext podcast. The Supreme Court is set this month to issue its decision in Janus v. Asmi, a case that could transform the politics of American education. At issue is whether public sector unions, including those representing teachers, should be allowed to collect fees from workers who choose not to join. Back in 2016, a majority of the court seemed poised to ban so-called agency fees in a similar case, before Antonin Scalia's unexpected death led to a 4-4 split. The lead plaintiff in that case, Rebecca Friedrichs, was a 28-year veteran teacher from Orange County, California, and she's joining me today to discuss her own case, Janice, and the consequences for teachers going forward. Rebecca, welcome to the Ednex podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So let's start with the basics. The legal issue in your case was, for all intents and purposes, identical to the one that the court is considering in Janus. In your own words, what's the problem with current policies on agency fees in states like California? In what sense do they violate your rights? Well, agency fees violate our rights in multiple ways. I'll just highlight a few. Number one, it's forced representation. Many of us don't appreciate the sort of representation that the unions offer. I can share some stories later in our conversation. Um, Secondly, those of us who are agency fee peers lose our membership in our local association. Almost every teacher I've spoken to across the country actually appreciates the local teacher association hanging out with their friends and standing in solidarity they just don't like the state and the national union but you lose that local association when you become a fee payer third you pay 100 percent of the collective bargaining fees to give you an example of what kind of money that is my husband was an agency fee payer just this past year at the university level he paid twelve hundred dollars a year in non-member agency fees. When you're paying agency fees, you get no vote in collective bargaining, no voice in collective bargaining. I wasn't even allowed to attend the meetings. And um, in the case of someone like my husband, who was a director of a school, the union would actually file grievances against him, even though he was paying those fees. So there's all sorts of problems with the situation, and then in addition, they punish you. They take away your liability insurance and other perks of membership. Now, to be clear, the current arrangements do allow teachers like you at one time and your husband to opt out of the portion of union dues that go to political activities. So at least in theory, the agency fee only supports the union's collective bargaining activities from which all teachers stand to benefit. But your argument to the court, as I understand it, was that you were still in a position of being forced to subsidize the union's political speech. Why is that? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So what a lot of people don't realize is agency fees are used to support all sorts of union political speech. Here's just one example. The NEA, National Education Association, has what's called a representative assembly. The representative assembly is something that represents all teachers, including fee payers, and our money goes to pay for that um, democratic body. Um, This is where the NEA sets its resolutions and writes its new business items each year. All fee payers pay for this and are represented by this. 
at the NEARA Representative Assembly. For example, these are some of the things that they vote to do with our money. They spend millions to stand against school choice. They stand with groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center, the ACLU, the NAACP, the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network to eradicate what in their opinion is hate. And they stand for sanctuary cities. They make um, policies to alert teachers to disobey ICE agents. Um, these are all political um, statements and ideals, yet they speak for all teachers using all teacher money to um, make these decisions and write these resolutions. And this is just a very small sample of the many political stances that the unions take with fee-payer, indeed all teacher monies. Some would argue that even the union's collective bargaining activities, because it is interacting with government about government policies uh, that control how schools are operated, is itself political, that this distinction between collective bargaining activities and political expenditures doesn't make sense in the first place. And that argument seemed to get some traction in the court in when it was hearing the Janus case. Is that mm -hmm. part of the argument as well, that really it's impossible to distinguish collective bargaining activity from political activity? Yeah, absolutely, yes. And in our arguments, in fact, it was Justice Scalia that stated that, um, gosh, the problem here is that collective bargaining in the public sector, no matter what is being collectively bargained, it's all political because it all impacts taxpayer dollars. And when Justice Scalia made that statement, it was the, um, the other side. It was the uh, Solicitor General for the state of California, I believe, who was standing with the unions, who said, in your honor, we don't disagree with that. So even the unions agreed that all collective bargaining is political. Um, so, in my opinion, they, they shouldn't take one penny from, uh, from someone who disagrees with that. Now, what experiences in your own career as a teacher led you to get involved in this issue in the first place? Oh, well, I have many. We could talk all day, but I will highlight one. Um, at one point in my career, I decided to serve as a union leader, and I became um, the secretary of my local union board. As a part of my position, I went to a California Teachers Association, CTA, annual leadership conference. And when I was at that conference, I was stunned, first of all, that everywhere I looked, everything about it was political. The expo booths, uh, the seminars in which I attended, they was all about politics and trying to train teachers in all of union ideology. But the worst thing that happened was, all of us were sitting in this large ballroom. There were about 300 teachers. And during Q&A, one brave teacher stood up, and she asked in the kindest way a very simple question, and that was, you know, the teachers I represent are really upset that our money is going to politics, one-sided politics, and we'd like to know how we can have a voice in how our money is spent. And as soon as she asked that question, the union leaders on the, on the stage and around us in the room just ganged up on her. And they bawled her out and let her know that if you don't stand with union politics, if you don't stand with what they believe, there's something wrong with you. They didn't use the word bigot, but they made us feel like you're a bigot if you don't stand with us. And then they told us all the right way to think, their way. 
They never answered her question. They withered her. They bullied her in, into a heap, basically. She was terrified. And all of us just sat there stunned and silent because we were so terrified. It was like we were little kids being bullied on the playground. That was the day that I said, enough is enough. This is wrong. This is abuse. We have no voice. There is no accountability. And as that story illustrates, this is a very contentious issue, one that creates strong divisions among teachers. How were you treated by your colleagues as your case began moving through the federal court system between 2013 and 2016? Yeah, that was the the most interesting thing was I thought I was going to be treated very poorly. My husband and my sons and I all expected all negativity. But our biggest surprise was that a lot of people stood with us. I'll tell you a couple stories. At my school, um, of course, people wouldn't talk to me out in the open. That's too scary. The unions control teachers in what I call a culture of fear. And you better not speak out against them, or they call you names. Like they call me radical right-winger. They call me spawn of Satan, all these different names. Teachers don't want to be called names. They just want to teach. So, um, so people didn't speak with me openly, but a lot of teachers would pull me into darkened rooms. They'd hug me. They'd tell me they were praying for me, that they hoped I'd win. And the biggest surprise was my husband, who um, is at the university level. He thought because the unions tell everyone that all teachers agree with them, even teachers and uh, professors, we don't know where other people stand. We're all silenced. So. He started posting just my editorials and my story on his um, Facebook page to support me, but he was terrified that, you know, people were going to be upset with him. Well, after he would post it, I'm proud of my wife. She stands up for what she believes. He posted, and all of a sudden, one by one, a bunch of faculty came to him. Oh, we're 100% behind your wife. Tell your wife thanks for what she's doing. But just like me, it was always in a dark room was always when they were alone. It was never out in the open. So out in the open, I wasn't treated great. I was really the elephant in the room. I was very lonely. It was a lonely, lonely process. I lost some friends, but for the most part, people were supportive it's, in the dark. <laughs> it's interesting because in the 2017 Education Next poll, uh, we always talk to a representative sample of American teachers in addition to a representative sample of all Americans. And we found that teachers were roughly split on the topic of agency fees. 47% of them opposed being forced to pay agency fees if they were not joining the union. 44% were in support. So uh, it surprised us initially to see so many teachers uh, opposed to agency fees. Maybe it doesn't surprise you, given your experience talking with a lot of people on the ground. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all. And like I mentioned before, I can't put a percentage on it because I've never done a poll, but of thousands of teachers I've talked to across the country, I would guess 90 to 95% love and appreciate their local association, hanging out with their friends and standing together. But they are so offended by the state and national unions who use our money to behind our backs to push a social and political agenda. And we just want to teach. We want to do things that are good for our students. We don't want to fund somebody's agenda. And then they beat us up when we question them for it. So 
Um, and by that I mean emotionally and, and verbally beat us up. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I, I think teachers want freedom. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You mentioned teachers feeling strong ties to their local association in particular. That's another thing that we see in our polling data is that teachers do think highly of unions in general, see them as having a positive influence. So there's a tension there between sort of their positive feelings about unions in general, but their reluctance to be forced to contribute uh, without having a choice in the matter. Yeah, exactly. And I would be interested, and maybe I'll help you write a poll if you're interested. <laughs> I would be very interested in seeing if we actually ask them the question, do you like your local association? How do you feel about the state? How do you feel about the national? That would be interesting to see the, the uh, result of that. Now, the unions, of course, argue that agency fees are essential in order to keep employees from free riding. That is benefiting from the wages and benefits the union negotiates on their behalf through collective bargaining without paying their fair share. And this rationale was central to the Supreme Court's ruling in the 1977 case that established the legal framework that's now in place. What's wrong with that basic logic in your view? Don't we need to ensure that teachers and other workers don't free ride on the contributions of others? Well, I guess it's assuming a lot. It's assuming that we want their representation. You know, I mentioned earlier, my union was voted in when I was a little kid. I don't know one person in a union who's ever had the opportunity to vote. Do you even want that union? So there's one problem. They're just assuming we even want them there. The next problem is the unions are really free riding off of us. They take, you know, $1,000, $1,200 a year they're totally unaccountable. We don't know where that money is going in most cases. They bring in curriculums and issues that actually bring harm to our students, make our jobs more difficult, and then we're forced to pay that. So in my opinion, they're free riding off of us. Um, and in my opinion, the reason the unions see agency fees as essential is so that they can continue taking our money against our will to push their social and political agenda into our schools and onto our country without question. Um, so I don't think they're a benefit at all. Now, I suppose you've learned the hard way that it's difficult to predict exactly what the Supreme Court will decide. <laughs> but how do you anticipate the court ruling in Janus? <laughs> Boy, did we learn the hard way. That was rough. Um, I do anticipate that Mark Janus will win his case. Uh, I have no idea whether it's going to be a narrow ruling or a broad ruling. Uh, we'll see. Um, I do think he'll win. I think that the Janus case, though, as my case, is just the first domino to fall in a very, very, very long battle for freedom for workers and improved schools um, in the case of teachers because unions are doing things that are really bringing harm to our schools. So a win, yes, celebrate for about 30 minutes, maybe a day tops, and then we've got a lot of work to do. Well, that anticipates another question I wanted to ask, which relates to the fact that the Janus case and your own case before it are really part of a broader series that have been filed on behalf of government workers who feel as if current practices impinge on their First Amendment rights. Another case making its way through the federal courts Yon v. California Teachers Association is challenging the way in which teachers 
in many districts are required to opt out of union membership rather than needing to opt in in the first place. If Janice comes out, as you expect, as a decision uh, in favor of Mark Janice, is a case like Yon a likely next step? Uh, yeah, I think Jan, Ryan Yon is the name of that plaintiff, that his, uh, his case is definitely a next step. There were eight other cases filed around the country around the same time as the Yon case was filed, all built on my case. The reason for that is my case was a little more thorough than the Janus case. The Janus case will give right-to-work rights to all public sector employees across the country. So everyone will be freed from being forced to pay agency fees. My case went two steps further, and this is what the Yon case and other cases really do need to come in and take care of later. Those two things are, rather than having to opt out, we should be allowed to opt in. So in other words, right now the burden is on the employee. We get bullied and everything else. It's really hard to figure out how to opt out. The unions create all these hoops that we have to jump through, mysterious dates that we don't know. Um, so we need to make it put the burden on the union to actually earn our business so we can just opt in. So that's the next thing. And then another thing is paycheck protection. Currently, um, union dues are collected by the taxpayer and uh, through automatic paycheck deduction. Well, we don't think that's right. The union's a 501c organization. They pay no taxes on the dues they collect. We think they should have to pay, collect their own dues. We don't think the taxpayer should be handing over the dues to them. So that's the next thing that I think needs to be taken care of in the courts. What do you think will be the consequences for teachers unions if the Janus case and the others you just mentioned come out in the way you're hoping? Will unions be weakened as organizations? And if so, are you worried at all about teachers having less voice in debates over education policy? That's a good question. I, I see that as a two-part question. First of all, the unions. What do I expect? Will they be weakened? Well, that's really entirely up to the unions. Um, if they continue their current behavior, and that is bullying everybody, forcing everybody, totally ignoring the, those who are forced to pay them, and no accountability, well, they'll be weakened. There's just Because if people are allowed to leave, they'll leave. Um, if they step it up, and they start doing what people want and stop getting so involved in divisive politics and all this other stuff, I think they could actually do a lot better. So that's, that's entirely up to the unions. Um, we discussed that people like their local. So, um, you know, they have an opportunity to improve here, in my opinion. As far as teachers, am I worried about us having less of a voice in debates over education policy? Well, we already have almost zero voice because a labor union has taken over our voice. They keep saying they represent us when they don't. So I actually think teachers can have a much stronger voice. We won't be drowned out anymore if, and this is a big if, if teachers can gather together and stand for what teachers really believe. Um, my, my concern is that the unions are going to bully teachers and isolate those who opt out like they do now. If you opt out, you're, you know, you're a pariah. So if you're isolated and other teachers allow you to be isolated, that's really the big problem. We need teachers to wake up and say, hey, uh, we need to stop isolating our friends who are really trying to give us a voice. We need to stand together. 
if teachers can stand together, oh boy, I think we could fix our schools overnight. I think a lot of great things could come from it. And what do you make of the recent wave of strikes in six states where teachers have walked out to try to demand better compensation, but also better funding for schools overall? Is is this an example of teachers standing together in a way that you see as potentially effective? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me this because I don't know any teachers, and I know a lot of teachers across the country, I don't know any teachers who like to stand out at a strike like that. They hate it. There's a few activist teachers that the unions have um, you know, brought into our schools over the years who lead those angry rants and who really, really are doing damage to the teaching profession and making people think that we're these angry, selfish, screaming uh, people. The teachers I know do not want to leave the classroom for a strike. They want to serve the children. But they're so bullied if they don't go out and strike, they're called a scab, they're, I mean, screamed at, they're ignored. It's awful, the culture of fear, like I was mentioning before. Um, That's not how I see teachers standing together in angry strikes. Um, What I make of these strikes is it's the union flexing its muscle, saying, hey, if we don't get our way, we're going to cause more labor unrest across this country. We're just going to prove to all of you that all these teachers are upset, and all, and we're going to, you know, basically cause all this chaos. Why do I think that? Number one, past behavior of the unions is the best predictor of future behavior. But their own attorney, Mr. Frederick, during the um, Janus case, said the following. He says that that's what it means is that the key thing that has been bargained for in this contract for agency fees is a limitation on striking. And that is true in many collective bargaining agreements. The fees are the trade-off. Union security is the trade-off for no strikes. And so if you were to overrule a boot, you can raise an untold specter of labor unrest throughout the country. That was his last statement at the end of his oral arguments. So in other words, if justices, if you, you know, rule in favor of Janice, uh, there's going to be labor unrest all over the country. That sounded like a threat to me. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing that we're going to see all kinds of strikes. But as a teacher, I can say most of those teachers don't want to hold those signs. They want to be in the classroom. So then practically speaking, what are constructive ways for teachers to stand together to have more of a voice as an alternative to a strike? Oh, gosh. I guess we'd have to sit down and come up with all kinds of ideas for that. But strikes are these angry, screaming mobs, and nothing gets done. It's, you know, the union wants something, and they get it, and it's typically money and power. Teachers can sit together, and we can, you know, intelligently discuss what needs to happen to improve um, student outcomes in our schools? Uh, what is it that we really need to, um, uh, to do a better job? For example, there were many years where I didn't really want another raise. I mean, of course, a raise is nice, but I really wanted a teacher's aid. I needed help. I had a lot of students who would come to me day one, first day of the school year, four grade levels below in reading, and now I have to bring them up. And I'm one teacher with 34 students. I wanted a teacher's aid. So, you know, I always wanted a science lab. I always wanted a music program. We never had any of that. 
So um, I think teachers just sitting, coming together and discussing at a local level. There's too much top-down. We don't need all this national telling us what to do, state telling us what to do. Local level. I don't think that's difficult at all for local teachers to get together and, and decide what's best for the students in their community. Working with parents, by the way, too, because parents have been very voiceless. My guest today has been Rebecca Friedrichs, lead plaintiff in the Friedrichs v. California Teachers Association case that evenly divided the Supreme Court in 2016. An abridged version of our conversation will appear in the fall 2018 issue of the journal and will be available soon at educationnext.org. Rebecca, thanks for being part of the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. With the school year wrapping up, the podcast is headed off on summer vacation as well. We may do a pop-up episode here or there as events warrant, which you can find out about by subscribing to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Otherwise, we'll plan to return to our weekly routine at the end of August. Have a great summer.